0: Thank you. All right. So we're in 1st uh, Samuel chapter 11. And um, and this is uh, just to kind of get us up to speed as far as um, what this chapter, uh, what what we're going into uh, from is um, if we remember back at the last chapter in chapter 10. We started out with. Um, with Samuel anointing, anointing Saul as king of Israel. And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. And then by, um, by the latter part of the chapter, uh, we have the people um, proclaiming uh, Saul as king of Israel. Uh, but we also realize, as we came to find out, that not all of the people were on board. Um, at the very end of 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, it says that uh, some worthless uh, fellows said, how can this man save us? So uh, some of them actually despised um, Saul, and um, they didn't honor him as, as their king. And, uh, and so, uh, but with that, of course, he, uh, Saul uh, exercised some wisdom, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't speak. He held his peace. But not all of the people were on board. In this chapter, we'll see how Saul responds to the need of Israel. uh, The need of Israel from um, their enemies in a specific location, in a specific area um, of the land of Canaan. Um, So we'll see how Saul responds to that need as they are threatened by the Ammonites. uh, And the threat was to make them slaves, so they were going to be enslaved. They were going to be oppressed, and they were threatened with that. So let's pay close attention to how the Israelites respond both before and after Saul knows and responds and how they respond and how Saul responds himself. So those are the things that we need to be looking for and how it is that uh, that all comes about. Let's pray and we'll get into our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask your blessing, your anointing. Give us understanding. And and I pray, Lord, just as um, Bethany had prayed, Father, that uh, we would not leave anything here. Lord, that is, we would not... uh, Lord, we, we would not uh, just be glazed over, so to speak, that, that we would be completely here, attentive to what you have for us this evening, and um, and Lord, that we would walk away with great understanding. Uh, and so, Father, I just ask that you would, um, Lord, open up our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, and uh, and I pray, Lord, that you will have your way with us this evening. And so, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash, and the, uh, Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. Um, Let's stop there just for a moment. What a deal, right? Yeah. Now, let's start out, just back up, because uh, uh, besieging is not something, it's not a term that really uh, we're familiar with today, is it? Not really, right? Uh, 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 to uh, To besiege means that all means of maintaining life are cut off. Um, in its most basic sense, it means that water and food are cut off from entering the city. Uh, water sources are cut off, and nothing is allowed to be imported from the outside, and no one is allowed to come out. And so they're kind of held captive. And I- if they do have any water sources coming into the city, uh, what the the enemy will do is they'll, they'll cut it off. They'll dam it up, or, or they'll cause it to go in a different direction. Therefore, the water um, really... Uh, Um, starved of water Uh, as far as food is concerned nothing from the outside is brought in and so if they were dependent on any outside um, sources for food um, they will at some point be starved out and so that's what it means to besiege a city so you weaken a city and you weaken it in in order to, um, to conquer it, to have victory over it it's easier to conquer a weakened enemy and so that's what they were doing so Nahash and the Ammonites besieged the Israelites that were in the city of Jabesh, Gilead, and the men of Jabesh felt like they really had no other uh, alternative than to seek relief by making a treaty and surrendering themselves to nahash that 's what they, they felt like they had they weren 't able to they weren 't strong enough they weren 't capable of withstanding the onslaught of the ammonites and so they thought we have no other alternative than to surrender ourselves. To the Ammonites but th- here's the deal though as we look at Nahash and we think what a wicked person this is right because he didn't just want to make them slaves but he also wanted to humiliate them he wanted to disgrace them to degrade them to dishonor them he wanted to basically make them uh, just ashamed uh, it's just you know evil the way he wanted to do it too Not only would they be enslaved by Nahash and the Ammonites, but they would be incapable of fighting effectively if it came down to doing so, having to do so. You know, having the right eyes gouged out. What what a deal, right? Hey, we will, I will go ahead and spare your life, but your right eye, it needs to be gouged out. Now, we learn a little bit more, though, when we realize uh, what the name Nahash means. Anyone know what Nahash means? Serpent. Yeah, the serpent, snake. And isn't this like the serpent, the devil? If he can't kill us, he will seek to maim us. If he can't gouge out both eyes, he will at least gouge one eye out, cripple us and hinder us from running. He will strike fear in our hearts, and if we let him, he will deceive us into thinking we have no other alternative than to make a deal with him in order to have some reprieve and be saved from utter doom. But we need to understand that it will only lead to further enslavement, for his motive is never, never, never to save us or give us any kind of reprieve, but to kill and destroy us. We're fooled. We're, we're made fools when we are duped into believing that by making a deal with the devil, I, I, I'm only going to gouge out one eye, but I'll go ahead and be brought into your care. Yeah, no, yeah, it's kind of just being lulled to sleep by a predator. That's that's all that is, is bringing you into that place of taking you out. That's what he's doing. John ten ten it says the thief comes only. Only. This is his. This is his sole purpose. The thief comes only. To steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus speaking. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a contrast! But we know that in Christ we will experience tribulation. But take heart, right? For I have overcome the world. So He warns us. He gives us the truth. Is what God God gives us the truth? Uh, the devil will give us a lie, and sometimes the lie just sounds so good. We want to believe the lie. Don't be duped by it. That's what, it'll take you down a path of destruction. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And just to get kind of may, perhaps a, a, a better view of what this looks like, turn with me, hold your place there, and turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to go all the way. To Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Is a story of Cain and Abel. In verse 1 we start out. Now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of the time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And this is how sin works. Um, The Lord always gives a warning, though. And here it was in this case where we have the story of two brothers coming together. They both bring an offering to the Lord. One, the Lord regards. The other one, he disregards. The problem was not that. Because we do the same thing amongst ourselves. You know, we all bring an offering to the Lord. What we need to learn is what is is pleasing to the Lord. We need to grow up and we need to learn what that is. When it's displeasing to the Lord, when it's not really what it should be, the Lord will disregard it. But it's not because he doesn't like you. It's not because he just there's, there's no way uh, that, uh, that he's going to receive anything from you because he hates you. It's not because of that. It's because he, he wants you to realize. He wants you to know what it is that is pleasing to him, because not everything's pleasing to him. Motives matter. And he gave him an opportunity. He gave Cain an opportunity. He confronted Cain. See again, I, I need to go back to the truth. Of Christianity. Christianity is a faith of confrontation. Always has been and always will. Christianity does not sweep things under the rug. It just does not. And so the Lord confronts Cain. And he said this. The Lord was very angry. I mean, so Cain was very angry. And his face fell. In other words, his countenance fell. It was obvious. His his face face told a story. It it revealed what his heart was. You know, sometimes, well, all the time. I mean, we can't can't hide everything. And at some point, our our face will tell the story of our hearts. It really will. It'll put it on display. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Now, this is not because the Lord didn't know. You know, the Lord knows all things. He's he's omniscient. He knows all things. It was so that Cain would realize why he was angry and why his countenance fell. That's what he wanted to point out. Because he was being deceived. He was being taken down this path of destruction. And God wanted him to avoid this. And God continues, said, if you do well. Will you not be accepted? In other words, at this point, your option is repentance. And if you do well to do that, he says, will you not be accepted at this very time? But he also told me, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It's it's, it's not for you as in good. It's, It's against you. It's against you but you must rule over it. You see, sin is always crouching at the door. If we fail to repent, sin will destroy us. Always destroy us. And he said, you must rule over it. And the way we we rule over sin is by doing what is right. It's pretty simple, but we're the ones that need to make the choice. God will not make the choice for us. We have to make that choice. The enemy, and this is all to point out this the enemy, Satan, has no good intentions and he wants to make us incapable of fighting. Incapable. But the Israelites, here's the thing is this, this is what was happening when Nahash and the Ammonites were coming against the Israelites. He wanted to he wanted them to compromise he wanted them to kind of give in whatever it was he wanted nothing good for them. oh, just you know what, come and work for me It's not what he was saying. Come and work for me, and everything will be fine. We know that you're you can't stand against me you know you can't you can't do that, but go ahead and work for me, and then you guys will be fine. No, 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 gouge out your right eye. I want to humiliate you. that's what I want to do now. The Israelites, what we see here, were agreeing to compromise and make an agreement with the enemy. They were were going to serve the enemy. With us today, this can only come with our agreement. We have to actually agree to that. Nahash was intimidating and was a little snake who wanted to be served and destroy, disgrace, and humiliate God's people as he brought them into servitude. Anyone who is seeking to destroy disgrace and humiliate God's people is doing the work of the enemy not of God. And this man was full of pride and one of the thing full of just arrogance, absolute arrogance. So let's continue to see how this all works out. Verse 3 says the elders of Jabesh said to him give us 7 days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Uh, so news got out. News got out and went all the way to, all the way to uh, where Saul was. It, it's interesting that Nahash allowed them to go seek help. Now they asked for seven days respite. Give us, don't do anything for seven days. We're going to go look for help. I find it interesting that he allowed them to yeah, go ahead. but it, it's just like someone who is so self-confident and arrogant to think that there will be no one greater than Nahash. that there's no one that can help you out. Go ahead, go go try and find some help. You won't find any. The elders of the Israelites in Jabesh asked for seven days to seek help and agreed. They agreed to turn themselves over to Nahash if they don't find any help. They knew they couldn't help themselves from the enemy. They needed someone to help them. Now, this in and of itself was a good thing. You know, they, were, they were at least willing to go out and look for some help. They were, they were looking for perhaps someone who could save them. Most people won't even do that. They just keep it to themselves and actually end up surrendering because they have no strength in and of themselves and are incapable of fighting the enemy successfully alone. That's our error. That's for us as Christians. We shouldn't do that. You know, when when we're going through different things, we actually should come together that much more. Um, We should be truly a family that comes together, that we do ask for help. Ask for prayer, ask for guidance, ask for counsel, and we receive it just as well as give it. Now, in Luke 22, 31 and 32, um, Jesus speaking to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Right? So that's something that we do. We turn around When we have made a mistake, made an error, and we realize we grow through it and we learn through it, we can turn around and help someone else who's perhaps in that situation or kind of playing with that. We can can tell them, don't go down that path. Don't repeat what I did. You don't have to do that. My hindsight is your foresight. Just here's some good counsel for you. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we are to help one another. And so, But that can only be done if we sincerely, genuinely come to each other for that help. We should be all the more willing to provide that help for one another. Well... They sought help, but what was the response uh, is is what we looked at here is what was the response of the people in Gibeah? They, they, all, they all started crying, right? They're weeping. Why is it that they were weeping? You know, here were the pe- people of Jabesh, they, they go to Gibeah, and and now it's because they, they were all filled with fear. They were all filled with fear. Uh, filled with fear. They were s- filled with sorrow. Fear will not paralyze you if you exercise faith. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Discipline. Sound mind. Well, they were all scared. And they wept. Because at that point... In all the people that were there, they found no one that was willing to stand up and save them. You know, one thing that I saw in regards to this chapter is, is, uh, uh, I know it's been used before, but just the title, When Leaders Lead. We're going to find out what happens when leaders actually do lead. At this point, we see no no leaders leading. We see, see no word of encouragement. We see no one standing, rising to the occasion. At this point, everyone was just like everyone else. Just afraid, filled with fear, paralyzed, weeping, because they they thought doom was inevitable. They were going to be enslaved by the Ammonites. Well, let's continue on in verse 5. It says, Now, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out. As one man. Let's stop there. Anger. You ever felt anger? Let's talk about selfish anger versus righteous anger. There is a difference. James 1.20. I'll, I'll use scripture for, for this. James 1.20. says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Have you ever quoted that? When someone gets angry? You know, your righteousness does not produce the righteousness of God. Romans 12.19. It's just and I'll, I'll explain it in a second, but let's quote Romans 12.19. Romans 12.19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verses, and here are some other scriptures. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry and do not sin. Oh, so scripture is telling us to be angry. Yeah. Right there, Ephesians 4, 26, be angry. It says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Psalm 7, 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. I can just imagine that. For a holy and righteous God, he sees the sin of man, and of course he has righteous indignation. The person who rages with uncontrolled anger is captivated, actually, and is under the sway of the devil and will do his his bidding, Satan's bidding, through that anger. You see, there's this selfish and self-serving anger. Uh, The type of anger... That is described in James 1.20 and perhaps even in Romans 12.9 is one of selfish anger. It's self-serving. It's because I didn't get my way. And so you get so infuriated that you are angry and you lash out at someone else. Versus righteous anger. Because not all anger is selfish or sinful. There is such a thing as righteous anger. It's an anger that rises against unrighteousness, sin, blasphemy. It is an anger that establishes a stance in righteousness and against that which is against God that is immovable and serves to destroy what is opposed to God and his glory and his righteousness. That is a righteous indignation. It is not an uncontrolled response in anger, but rather a calculated response in love that considers the honor of God and the protection of what is his, his glory, his righteousness, and his name. Which means that the response may include calling sin, sin, and standing up against someone who desires to cause harm and destruction to people, especially God's people and your family, moms and dads. If you rise up in anger against someone who desires to cause bodily harm to one of your children, that is good. You ought to protect your children. Am I not right? How much more would God not rise up with that righteous indignation to protect that which is right? For us, when we rise up, we need to rise up. We need the the church needs needs to wake up. You know, one of those things. Hey, listen, we're kind of being lulled by the enemy. Tolerance, right? Tolerance. You know, you need to accept this. You need to accept that. In fact, the world is redefining love for us. Wrong. We should not be allowing the world to redefine love for us. Because love doesn't ignore sin. It deals with it. That's why this righteous indignation is something that we need to learn very well as Christians. It's about time Christians like wake up. We wake up. You know, We've been told that you, know, you need to be gentle and nice and just be accepting of everything. No matter how, how it comes at you, just, just accept it. That's not what I read in God's word. Not at all. You see, the protection of the innocent is not a sinful anger. It is an appropriate anger that is righteous by its spiritual, moral, and more importantly, and most importantly, is what defines it all, biblical definition. Notice here that the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and it was when he heard what was going on that his anger was greatly kindled. The Spirit of God rushed upon him, and then his anger was greatly kindled it came in that order what he did was pretty pretty gruesome but it was an effective way of communicating the seriousness of the matter to the people it was time to rise up and he said whoever failed to rise up for that person it was sin defend and defeat that's what the call was. Defend and defeat. And Saul was rising up to the occasion. Remember, he was anointed as king. He was proclaimed as king. And now it was, it was a, a, a point in time that was afforded to him as an opportunity to show that he was king. And when the spirit came upon him, he rose to the occasion. And he was telling the people, rise to the occasion. It's time. Defend and defeat. Defend what is God's and defeat whatever comes against what is God's, to his honor and his glory. James 4.17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so Saul, having had the Spirit of God rush upon him, is angered. He cuts up a, a yoke of oxen, has them sent throughout all Israel, and calls on the people to respond or have their oxen cut up, cut up like the ones on display. It's time to act, and to act courageously, and to act now. You see, it's not that, that Saul was going to go around, okay, so you didn't participate, you didn't come in and, and fight with us, and so therefore, give me your yoke of oxen, and so so they can be cut up. No, no, no. He knew that if they became oppressed and enslaved by the Ammonites, that they all of their oxen would be taken away all of their stuff and it was a good thing that the fear of the lord fell on the people and they came out as one man all united ready to go what 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 a display what a picture this was it would do us well today for the fear of the lord to fall upon us that we too would respond to the call to what is right with courage against that which is wrong and quit surrendering to compromise and somehow attempt or, or seek to attempt to justify by selfish desires our delayed obedience uh, our delayed obedience when a man's righteous indignation is stirred and comes to the surface make way he will not be stopped because god is with him and his will is firmly fixed on god's will and to give even his life to fulfill it. We know this to be true. In all of the apostles, in the disciples of the first century century and throughout church history, we see that they were even willing, they, they, were, they were steadfast and, and secure in Christ, their hope was in Christ, and they were even willing to give their lives for the sake of the glory of God, to fulfill God's will and not their own. Well, Saul did this, and then we have in verse 8 as we continue when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. Now, this was a word that they turned around and spoke to, Nahash. Verse 11, And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. So, they all gathered as one man. So, if you do the math, right? 300 plus another 30,000 of of uh, Judea. Now, Or Judah, we're looking at 330,000. That's a big army. All they had to do is is they had to rise to the occasion. All they had to do is come together. 330,000. Men were sent to the Israelites in Jabesh to reassure them that salvation had come. And it will be known tomorrow, by the time the day reaches the peak of its warmth, And I'm thinking, that's about 3 p.m., right? 3, 3.30 is about when we reach the peak of the warmth of our day here. So about 3 p.m. tomorrow, you will know salvation. Oh, when they heard this news, they rejoiced. They were encouraged. Oh, behind us, all Israel got together. We have 330,000 men who have joined together. They're willing to fight. How wonderful that news came to the ears of those in Jabesh. Now, there were some other men who were sent to Nahash to tell him that they would give themselves up to him. And the Ammonites uh, give, give themselves up to, to Nahash and the Ammonites to do as they please. So, this was a very generic statement. They, they didn't tell him anything that they weren't going to do. They were going to present themselves to Nahash and the Ammonites. Go ahead and try and do whatever it is that you can do. You won't be able to do a thing. But they gave them the impression that they were going to them tomorrow, the next day, to surrender. And so, of course, uh, them thinking that the Israelites were going to surrender, they, of course, would go unprepared. They would be unprepared as far as the Ammonites are concerned. So Saul split the men up into three companies and struck them first thing in the morning. The element of surprise was an effective one, and they were confronted with three companies who routed the Ammonites, killing them and splitting up whoever survived the attack. So no two were left together, so they were all scattered all over the place, whoever survived the attack. So the battle, oh, they were victorious in this battle. They conquered them right there. All came together as one man and fought together under the banner of the Almighty God. And that really, I, I, I thought about that. I, I've always desired that. Looking, looking back, um, you know, at the time that I, I did serve in the military, I just, I love the camaraderie. Uh, uh, yeah, the camaraderie of, of the, the men coming together, of, of working together, of um, just a tight-knit group um, to accomplish one thing the mission that was before us, whatever that that was, the work that was before us. You know, and and I so desire that within this church. You know, that refuge would be that. You know, that we would come together as one man. We're not 330,000 strong, but whatever it is that we have here, that we would be a closely knit group of people who are more like a family and look after each other. That we are our brother's keepers. That we are loyal to each other. And when we go out and fight, we go out and fight together. We go against the enemy in in such a way that it is apparent that God is with us. And we're all on the same page. When we go out on mission trips, that we have the backing of the whole church. And the church is praying and with us. That we go out and, and do the work of the Lord. When we have children's ministry, that everyone comes together to lend a hand, you know whatever is needed there, it's just taken care of. We need ushers and greeters. Well, hey, you know what? We're all here to do the work. We're we're like one man, and so it doesn't matter. What is it that you need? Do you need this? Do You need that? It doesn't. This is this is a body come to, coming together. Just making sure together that we're displaying the love of Christ amongst us united in our fellowship and in the fight against anything that comes against our relationship with the Lord and against our fellowship and seeks to undermine it a church like the church in Acts two forty-two through 47 kind of a church like that because you know what that church it, it never ceased to really um, like th- there was never a point at the end of the New Testament to where the Lord said, uh, this is this is where we end the church uh, in, that we see here. And, and at this point, we're going to start a church that looks more like um, like a corporation, uh, one that just pumps out, you know, people who profess Christ and that's it. No, no, no. It, it, it's it, this. This is actually the church that we ought to be growing in Christ, maturing, uh, taking care of things within the church. Uh, watching after each other. Uh, whatever we need, we, we understand that if we can provide it, we provide for each other in that way. That's the church. It still should be that now. That's really the church. It's not the building. It's not the name. It's just us here. It's the people. So, you know, in, uh, in very uh, in a very straight way, a very simple way, what we have here is them, uh, they, they quit crying. They started fighting. They started coming together, united as one. And, and for us, you know, we should quit our crying. Because our crying is all about us, right? We should start fighting. We should start working. We should just start doing something. Believing that with God all things truly are possible. You see, God desires that people get saved, discipled, and learn to lead a life that is glorifying to the Lord with great hope in Christ. Let us put that on display as a church. And then verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Um, just pause for a moment. I, I love this. Um, Oh, so now they're all gung-ho and ready to string up everyone who was opposed to Saul. Remember, that happened last, last chapter, at the very end of the chapter. I, I read that as we were going into this chapter. There are some worthless fellows who, who, who uh, opposed Saul, um, who actually, it says here, despised him, right? And, and now, after a victory, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember those. Remember those? Who were those people? Who were opposed to Saul. Bring them out that we may put them to death. Oh, Oh, now now you want to. Okay, I see. Um, With this, I, I I love this because this is what the people said to Samuel, the prophet. But Saul the king responded and said that no one was dying today. No one's dying today. Be very careful and watch yourself when victory is experienced because the enemy will seek to take advantage of unchecked feelings and a lowered guard. All right? When you have this, when, when you're having mountain top experiences in Christ, when everything seems to be going really well, don't put your guard down and do not leave your feelings unchecked. Okay? Okay? Your feelings, by the way, are are these just desires um, that are are carnal is what I'm talking about. And if left unchecked, um, you will not even know that they're leading you down a path of destruction. The enemy sought to do a little destruction in the camp after they had all just come together, and new victory over the enemy. Saul wisely refused it and didn't allow it. The enemy will even try to bring division and destruction in the midst of good things. Careful. Remain vigilant for the one who seeks to destroy is prowling around, going to and fro, seeking someone to devour. Especially when things are good. Especially. Consider Eve in paradise. Oh, she she was in the midst of perfection. And Eve was deceived. You see, Satan has no shame and respects no one and respects no bounds. But here, Saul recognized that it was not he who was to get the glory for the victory, but God. For today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And that's what he wanted the focus to be on. Hey, there's no division here. I don't want this group to be Put to death. There's no need. At this point, let's just rejoice over what God has just done. And that is what we ought to desire above all: that God enjoys His victories in our midst. That's what we should rejoice in. So be be wise like Saul was it, you know, in that moment, to where he wasn't willing to allow anything to distract or bring division. Or destroy what the Lord had just done. Nothing. Right now, we're gonna celebrate. This is what the Lord has done, and that's it. So he said, No, let's let's look upward. That's what we ought to do. Verse 14. It says then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Wait a minute, I thought they already made Saul king. Well, they had. But remember that he was anointed, he was proclaimed, but not everyone was on board. Now, now it seems that like the whole nation is brought together and that they're they're united. He, he just, you know, and there's a sense of proving yourself. Over time, you, you tend to prove yourself. You know, where you really stand. And, and so I, I, I hope for, for anyone who is in a place of, um, of authority, uh, teaching or anything like that, that over time that that person is also proved, proved. So Saul was proved to the people. And it was at that time that they were all like, yes, he is our king. He is the one who led us in this victory. And at the same time, Saul, at, at this point, had he taken into account this all throughout his whole um, uh, time as king, would have done well, and he would have ended well. Right? But he considered God. And he said, God has given us this victory. And so what they did was, um, as Saul uh, proved himself as king of Israel. He protected them by bringing them together and leading them in a in military battle, victorious over the enemy, denying him their surrender and instead handing them defeat. It was time to renew the kingdom, and, and uh, wisely Samuel you know, recognized this. It was time to renew the kingdom and offer sacrifices to the Lord as the nation recognized Saul as their king, and they rejoiced greatly before the Lord. We need leaders to lead. To have the courage to call on others to rise up and stand for righteousness and not accept anything less. No compromise, no wallowing in fear, no surrender, but encouraging each one to rise up and fight for the glory and honor of God. And that's what we have here. That's what I saw as you go through this whole chapter. you, You see how it just builds up to the point to where now we're rejoicing in the victories of God. And we see this man that the Spirit of God came upon him. He he exercised uh, this faith in the Lord as he united everyone together, and there was this righteous indignation. It's time to rise up. We need to, to be encouraging to one another to rise up and fight for the glory and honor of God. By repenting of our sins and standing in God's righteousness by living holy lives and encouraging each other to do so. And that's what we're called to do. Growing and maturing in Christ, that's what we're called to do. When leaders lead, people are called to respond. And the question is, will you be a leader? And how will you respond to the call to rise up? Father. We are thankful, Lord, that you are a God that does not leave us to our own imaginations. Lord, thank you for delivering us from those. And and thank you, Lord, that you give us the truth. Lord, you call us to be courageous. Lord, to walk or live our lives in a manner that glorifies you understanding your word and applying it to our lives, that when we are faced with seemingly impossible situations, that you get the victory. And so I pray, Father, that your spirit would fall upon us, that you would empower us with your dunamis power that comes by your spirit. And Lord, that we too would rise to the occasion Stand against sin, that which leads down a path of death and destruction. And we would instead pursue and desire and choose righteousness in our lives. That we may bring you glory and be blessed in the midst of applying it to our lives. Lord, to choose to do good, that which is right. And so, Father, pour your spirit out upon us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit to overflowing. Guide and direct us. As we read your word, give us wisdom, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding of your word. That we may encourage one another to love and good works as we come together in fellowship. And Lord, also, I pray that we would be our brother's keepers. That we would, Lord, help each other out, warn each other, and be loyal to each other. For we are your children May we be here at refuge as one man. In Jesus' name we pray.